0: On the People of Sports third podcast episode, we are joined by the host of Edmonton Oilers broadcast, Inside Sports, and Overtime Open Line on 630 Ched, Reed Wilkins. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Rodney. Thanks a lot for having me, man. For sure, for sure. And this kind of tough question to start us off, what are you shooting golf?
1: Oh. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Not not very good. I shoot Generally I shoot in the nineties, uh, for 18 holes, not for nine. Okay. It's 18 holes. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, imp- I improved slightly a few years ago. I took a, a couple lessons, not many, but just enough to sort of straighten things out and have some go-to things to think about while I'm golfing instead of being all over the place. And that helped, uh, but I'm still very inconsistent, but generally I shoot, in the nineties. Now there's a big difference between 91 and even 97 or 98. So, uh, you know, I, I but I I've improved to the point, okay. This was my goal. This was my goal, Rod a few years ago. I would like to break a hundred most of the time, because basically what happened was I'd be shooting, you know, 102, 105, 110. And then I might have like a 96 and that would be an incredible round. You know, if I shot high nineties. So I wanted to shave off some strokes. So I've actually done that. And, you know, you know, my friends and my parents always tell me, like, you kind of did what you set out to do. Why do you still get frustrated? <laughs> so I have to tell myself that. But, you know, it's like you improve, you get a little better. But then you think, well, geez, like now I can hit more good shots, but I still hit hit bad shots. But generally, I shoot in the 90s. I think I golfed a couple dozen rounds this summer, and I was only over 100, I think, once. And I was, uh, I broke 93 times all at Riverside, my, my home course, quote unquote, and the rest were in the nineties. Now, again, everywhere between like, I think 91 and 98. So the, you know, the couple 97s, 98s weren't very good, I'm a, I'm a 20 handicap. I think I've been basically before I got a little better, I think I was like a 25 or a 26. And now I'm kind of, I, I wasn't 18 for about a week. <laughs> Uh, but generally I've been 19, 20, 21. I think I might've ballooned up to 22 for, for a bit, but I, I finished the summer at 20. If I could get down to 18, that would be, that would be great. But I, am not sure when that's coming.
0: Was being a radio personality always what you wanted to do?
1: Uh, no, it wasn't always what I wanted to do. Um, when I was real little, I wanted to be a fireman because I used to watch a show on television called emergency. Uh, Station 51. I mean, I didn't understand what was happening in the show. I I mean, it was a drama show. I just knew they fought fires. And then I realized that running into a burning building is actually quite dangerous. So I abandoned that probably at the age of six or seven. And then uh, like a lot of Canadian kids, I wanted to play in the NHL because I thought it was just a matter of you just kept playing hockey and then you got a job in the NHL. I mean, as a little kid, I had no concept of how good you had to be and there was a draft and then you weren't even guaranteed to be on the team so you know I, play, I played hockey to my uh I don't know I think I was only 13 or something Um, but yeah even the, I, I probably understood by the time that I was 10 that I probably wasn't gonna play <laughs> in the NHL but I, I think broadcasting and just sort of um, doing something with creativity and a, a presentation aspect was always something i was interested in i mean i've always sort of uh been interested in in film and drama i mean i studied drama at the u of a i've always enjoyed writing and i think just the combination of that which combined with being interested in sports eventually led me to to going into broadcasting specifically being on the radio or doing a talk show which now i've done for i guess the largest chunk of my career i i would say not specifically when i thought about it i I mean i remember probably in even in junior high like maybe even grade nine i started thinking you know maybe that's actually a career i could i could pursue you know and would do you know play-by-play in front of the tv for the odd nhl game it was it was probably play-by-play first and then you know when i was uh late eighties, early nineties, high school and university highlight shows started to take off. Uh, I mean, you had Dutchy and on, on TSN, right. And, uh, uh, or Dutchie on ITV, I should say. And then he went to TSN. And then when I, I moved to Edmonton for university, uh, you know, you see more channels and the highlight shows and seeing, uh, man, who was on TSN back at that time, probably, um, uh, Landsberg was doing the highlight show before he was doing off the record. uh, so then that kind of, uh, struck me as another career path as well. So, like I said, I, I did go to university and then eventually I just thought, okay, I, I want to pursue something that I'm, I'm passionate about that combines something I'm interested in with, with personal passions and where I think I would, uh, you know, I would enjoy the lifestyle and enjoy sort of those, those day-to-day things. And then I, I went to Nate and I actually did, as you know there you can take the radio path or the tv path so you do learn some some crossover skills but i actually took the tv path and the early part of my career was more television oriented though i though i still did a bunch of radio so i mean if i can't sit here and tell you that i thought um that that my goal was to one day host a talk show or host the Order's broadcast on chat, like i can't tell you that it was that specific because it, it it wasn't, it was more just work in sports broadcasting, see where it goes. I I was always hoping, you know, when I started my career in Lloydminster that I would be in Edmonton someday because a, I think covering the Oilers and and the, the football team are really interesting and have two passionate fan bases. Plus you have U of a stuff and you have Olympic athletes that are always interesting to talk about. So that was one thing. And then just the fact that my family is here. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky uh, as well, that I've been relatively close or in the same city as my family most of the time through, throughout my career. So, yeah, like specifically doing this job in radio that that's not that wasn't necessarily on my mind um, as the ultimate goal when I was a kid or even starting in broadcasting. But as you go through things, you get different opportunities, and um, I mean it's the best job I've ever had. I, I mean that's hands down, and I've enjoyed pretty much my entire broadcasting career. But it's the best job I've ever had.
0: I remember when you were talking about your career in Lloyd with job security, did you ever think about quitting, for example, if it was too hard and you were down there away from your family and all of that?
1: I did quit. Uh, I left Lloyd Minster without a job in 2007. Uh, so, so that's, uh, that's something interesting, I guess. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I was in Lloyd Minster seven years and I, I had a lot of rejection and that's not unique to me. I mean, you, you got to go through that and it's, uh, it's a competitive industry and it's an industry, you know, where, where there's a, a job available in a larger market, you know, everybody in the smaller markets is applying for it. Um, so I'd kind of, the, the general path of what happened in Minster was, you know, when you start off, you're in your first year or so you might apply for a job in a larger place, but they're they're really not going to look at you, right? You don't have enough experience. There's people higher up in the queue than, than you are. And then I kind of went through a stretch probably from when I had about, I don't know, maybe two or three years experience till about five years experience where I was interviewed for a few jobs, you know, was told I'm on the short list and uh i kept not getting jobs Uh, you know like i was you never know like they always try to let you down easy but you get to know other people in the industry and at stations where you're applying for jobs and you have friends there who tell you like hey man like story you know like the boss told me you were in the running you were right there but you know you were the, the second choice or you know i i mean it was uh you hear some honest things i mean definitely being told that uh uh, I wasn't good looking enough to be on TV, quite frankly, uh, which is probably accurate. Um, so, you know, you, you get that kind of things and, and, and feedback and you got to kind of be realistic along the way. So, uh, so I'd gone through a lot of rejection for a couple of years. I, I think once I counted, it was like seven or eight jobs. I was in the top three, four and, and interviewed even in person or on the phone and not, and not getting them. And, you know, when you're, when you're rejected early, you know, you kind of get some feedback where it's like, well, you just don't have enough experience or, you know, you're off to a good start, but you got to do this. And I I think one thing that was frustrating for me was I was uh, I was often rejected, but without that feedback, it's just like, well, like we didn't pick you. And it's like, sometimes I was pulling my hair where It's like, well, I, I want to get these jobs. I want to advance my career, but these news directors that are rejecting me can't tell me anymore what they want from me. And I think it was just ultimately, you no, know, I wasn't the choice or they, they, or they knew somebody, or they had an internal candidate or, or it was, you know, appearance based and they didn't want to say that maybe. So then I kind of reached a point as I got into sort of years five, six and seven in Lloydminster, I was applying for jobs in the same markets when they would come open and I wasn't even getting interviews. So I think what happened was I would kind of gone through the process and now I'd become the, you know, it's like, well, that's the guy we didn't hire the last two times. So why would we hire him now? So that was frustrating on, on its own. So, you know, I I went through a lot of soul searching about it and I, and I thought, you know, by this time, um, you know, when I went to Lloyd, my parents still lived out near Evansburg where I grew up. And while I was in Lloyd, they retired and moved to Edmonton. So I sort of confronted what I wanted out of life, but not just out of my career. And I, I still have, you know, had and have a lot of good friends in Edmonton that, you know, you don't see as much. And I thought, well, you know what, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to go back. I, I'm just, I'm just going to go back. So I made a pretty drastic decision. And while I was on a road trip with a friend in Pittsburgh, uh, I emailed my boss and said, I'm not, I'm not coming back to work after the holiday. Like I was on like a three week trip. So I did give two weeks notice, even though it still <laughs> probably wasn't the nicest thing I ever did. And I just said, I'm not coming back. I said, and, like, he knew me pretty well. He'd known some of the frustrations I was having. And I said like, we'll talk when I get back. Um, uh, you know, so he, I think he was shocked, but also not shocked at the same time. So I was back, uh, I, I came back to Edmonton and then I uh, did some other, I worked for Basketball Alberta for a while and kept the eye on uh, media jobs and eventually got in with uh, Chorus when they opened iNews 880 and and, and that. So yeah, it's funny. I, I, I actually, when you asked me if I ever considered quitting, I sort of did, though I never really considered leaving the industry. I, I think I always knew that that's still what I wanted to do. And maybe it was better just to be here, you know, j- just to be here and make the contacts and try to get a foot in the door that way. So yeah, I was a, I was a quitter, Rodney. You can tweet that out when you promote the the interview. We talked to notorious quitter, Reid Wilkins.
0: <laughs> but because you know your boss pretty well, why didn't you want to stay there forever? Why couldn't you stay in the Lord Minister?
1: Well, cause I wanted to live in Edmonton. Uh, you know, I think ultimately I wanted to live in Edmonton or, or, or yeah specifically Edmonton um and I think that probably uh in terms of feeling that personal sort of fulfillment of doing everything I could with my career I I don't know if I would have got that if I would have stayed in Lloyd like I'd kind of been through the cycle a few times and you know I, I wanted to see if I could cover the NHL the CFL um you know be around university sports so yeah I think that was just a goal, a goal of mine to to see how far to see how far I could take it. I mean, it was nothing against Lloyd Minster or anybody there, but it, it, you know it wasn't home. certainly it's a place I'm very fond of, and I have friends there as well. but yeah, it was it, it was a, it was a goal certainly to be in Edmonton, so I you know that was a big part of my decision
0: at the time. So when you were at City TV Edmonton and you were doing all these things, what was one story that you really remember doing either in a good or bad way?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I remember I did a story on swearing. (laughs) I can't remember why. Uh, I can't remember why we did it, but I did a story on swearing and I swore about seven or eight times in the story, but they, they beeped it out. And, uh, man i wish i could remember more about it I, th- I probably have it on dvd somewhere but but i remember doing a story on swearing and i interviewed somebody about swearing like it might have been like why we do it and the value of it and even though it's rude we still everybody swear or most people swear maybe you don't rodvi but most people do you know, like we don't swear in front of some people, but other, I can't remember exactly where it all went, but I, I kept swearing, you know, all my voiceovers and I even did a stand-up, like walking along Jasper Ave saying, you know, this uh, F in this and crap, but not crap. And, and so, it's like, so of course the editor has to bleep everything out. And there was so much swearing in it for me and other people. And we use video clips that we had to get multiple people to watch the interview to watch the story once it was edited to make sure we'd bleeped everything out and i remember we had one editor another editor who came in and watched it she was like uh yeah you missed one i was like oh yeah we did miss one because you were hearing it so much and you kind of realize how used to you hear uh to, to people <laughs> to people swearing about it so that's a memorable one uh i did one because for a while I, I had this kind of uh path there which was kind of fun where I did sort of the goofy offbeat stories and a little bit like where I would inject myself into the stories so I did something on cold weather the camera guy I went around and I was bundled up in a winter jacket and a toque and a scarf and mitts you know and boots with just my eyes showing the entire time and <laughs> We shot something at a, this made it into the story. We shot something at a, at a gym downtown, like an exercise place. And there was this woman like lying on her side doing like some kind of lifts, like, you know, like where you lift up your hip and then put your leg up in the air and you know, it strengthens your core or whatever. And she wasn't an interview subject or part of the story and didn't know what was happening. And I just walked up to her and lay down next to her on the floor and started doing what she was doing. Now you gotta remember she's in workout gear and I'm in like a full, uh, <laughs> full winter attire. Like the only thing visible is, is my eyes showing through all this. And like the look at her face was like, what the hell is, is going on? why is there a TV camera there? So again, I don't remember that, that full story. Um, but, but that was a, that was a fun one. I got to do some kind of weird stuff, uh, for a while, I did another one where, for some reason, I was like putting on makeup and I like smeared all this lipstick all over my face. I, I don't know what it was for. Maybe I just felt like putting on makeup. Maybe it was that was an outtake. But uh, yeah, i <laughs> those those were some fun ones. I don't know if I really remember one that i that I didn't enjoy doing, but I got to do some goofy stuff which kind of fit my personality.
0: With having your own show, which interview was it that really kicked off that Hey, I can do this job." I can have my own show.
1: Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's happened yet. To be honest with you, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of an ongoing process. No, but I mean, I think, I, I don't know if there's one interview that, um, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty lucky. We, I, I think we do, Dave Campbell and I do a pretty good job getting some good guests and finding good angles. Um, I mean, one of the earlier ones I remember was uh, this probably would have been in the first two years of me doing the show was talking to J.R. LaRose, who used to play for the double E and then went to the uh, the B.C. Lions. And, uh, you know, he'd had some challenges in his life growing up and then he uh, he got badly injured in a, in a game. Like I think his leg was was badly broken and he told that story and it was just a very honest Ross sort of interview and he was just a very well spoken smart guy. I mean I remember I remember that one. Sometimes you have really funny segments that you you don't know where it's gonna go and they turn out being uh pretty entertaining. So yeah, it's I, I don't know if in terms of I I don't know if I had that moment where okay, I can actually do this job. I, I think you just start doing it and at least for me, you I just started doing it and you hopefully get better at it from repetition. And then the longer you do it, the more contacts you have, the more people you know how to talk to. I mean, I certainly have a lot more confidence doing it than I did in the start, just a segment with, uh, I, I call it self chat, but where you don't have a guest, you just got to talk and try to connect with the audience and and use tape and try to give them the info and maybe have a few laughs and, and stuff like that. Like, like I really, I, it's, it's such an ongoing process and that's what I, I like about hosting a talk show is that I I don't think it's possible to perfect it. You know, I feel like if I do it for another 10 or 20 years that I'll probably look back on it and say, God, like, I wish I could have done better, you know, because it's, it's, it's uh, it can be such a difficult gem to grasp sometimes And you can have one really good show and that's fine. And it's energizing, but then it has to start all over again tomorrow. You can't rest on your laurels. You're right back at it the next day, Um, which is also good. If you have an off show, you can get right back at it the next day and try to make it even better. But you know, it's I I think you just live for those great moments where you connect with the audience or, or you have a really good guest. Um, You know, we're lucky enough to have Craig McTavish on inside sports now as a regular, he was on tonight and, you know, he's really good. And I think we got a good vibe going. So I I wish I could give you a, like a light bulb moment, but I, I, I I don't, I don't have one. I think it's just the process of doing it day after day, year after year, you just kind of get better and get more comfortable, but you're, you're tackling that beast of trying to have great content and, and do it day after day. And in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I haven't been doing it that long. I mean, it's uh, eight years. Uh, I mean, that's not that long. (laughs) So hopefully I still got a lot of runway to get better too.
0: So when you're doing that, you never look back and you go, wow, I did that. You just keep doing it and you never have that self-reflection or that pride that you've done this or you've done this and you, you get more confidence in yourself.
1: Well, I get more confidence, but I wouldn't say that I, uh, I really look back and say, Oh, wow. I I did that. I mean, I, to me, it's, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, certainly you, I understand you have better shows. I mean, my personal performance I know is some days better than others, but I don't know if I've ever really, if I ever look back on anything and say, Oh wow. Like what a feather in my cap or was I ever good that night? I, I I don't look at it that way. I'm certainly aware that some shows and moments and interviews and segments are, are better than others, but I, I never look at it. Maybe you didn't mean this, but I, I never look at it in a, uh, Pat myself on the back type of way, or or wow, that's going to look good on a a resume type of way. I look back on it where it's like, okay, that was good. Let's file away that that was good, and and how do we do that again? Or if we have that guest on again, where do we go next time? Or is that a bit that I did that 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 worked, and and where we can take it? Like to me, there's um, I really like the job. Don't get me wrong, I love the job, but there's no cause for celebration in the job. Like it's. I, I don't really define it by moments necessarily or accomplishments. I, I just define it by the process. And, and I, you know, I think I have gotten better and I still think there's other areas to go and to explore and, and, and ways to improve, but I don't know if I've ever thought like, oh uh, well, like, wow, I did that. Like, how cool is that? Like, to me, that's stuff for retirement or the memoirs, you know, maybe, maybe you look back on that. Cause you, and you're so, like at least this is how I feel. Other people might tell you something totally different. I, I'm so Im- embroiled in the day to day grind of it, right? That it's it's like we okay we we got to do this. Like it's 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 funny because people often ask me when the Oilers season is starting. They, they will say, "Are you looking forward to the Oilers season?" Or you're looking forward to this game. And I under- I understand what they're asking, but they're asking me from their perspective perspective as fans that they've been waiting all summer for hockey and lived with the disappointment of the Oilers not making the playoffs or being eliminated in the first round like they were against the Jets and then seeing all the offseason signings and now they're so excited for the games to start now I'm also excited for the games to start because that's what it's all about and doing the game broadcasts are or can be an absolute blast but I'm not totally looking at it that way. I, I'm, I'm also considering, okay, what else is happening this year? especially, And then with COVID, like, where are we going to be broadcasting from? Are we going to have equipment? Who's going to set it up? When are they going to set it up? Are we going to have it in time for the first exhibition game? What if it doesn't work? What are we going to do? Uh, what uh, sponsorship has been sold this year? When am I going to get all the live reads that I'm going to have to read? What if I get one that's incorrect? How are we going to make it up to the client? Um, you know, so there's, there's so much more going through my brain when I'm preparing for a, for a season. So it's, it's funny. I often tell my friends, yes, I'm looking forward to the other season, but the game I'm looking forward to the most is the third game of the season, because by then you've gone through the exhibition schedule, you've probably ironed out any technical glitches. You probably have the script set in terms of the sponsor mentions you're going to have to read. And then you're into the feeling of it being a routine again. So, the third game of the that's what people can ask me if they ever see me. How much are you looking forward to the third game of the Oilers regular season?
0: With the Oilers, especially when you were first starting, when they were losing a lot, being that talk show host, how would it be when the fan base was angry?
1: Well, I think you have to let them be angry. First of all, I, I mean, it's sports is all about for a fan, it's often all about irrational emotion. I mean, looking back, I was I was pretty bad my first year. You never get the experience until you really need it, right? So I, I think I would have handled things differently, and my my preparation would have been different, regardless of the quality of the team. Like I, I wasn't very good at the job. I, I think with with the specifically doing an open line show, you have to let people vent. You have to understand to a certain extent that there's going to be some emotion and irrationality involved. The thing is, as a host, though, is I have to remember, I am paid to control the show. And if something goes on the air, it's ultimately my responsibility, right? So if if a caller is, you know, rambling or insulting or, you know, overly rude, it's not my job to say, well, what can I do? He uh, He called in you know, my boss is going to say like, that guy swore three times. Why didn't you cut him off after the first swear word? That's my job to to control that. And I think I, I, and I'm not saying, you know, Hey, I, you call in, I'm going to control you. But, but I mean, anything that goes on the air while I'm on, I, that's my responsibility, right? Whether I'm interviewing somebody or playing tape or, or have a guest. And that, that includes the calls. So, you know, I think, I think you have to let people vent. Um, I think you have to, as a broadcaster, still be be fair. I mean, hey, when they when they only won thirty games a year, yeah, they were bad, but they still won thirty games a year. Like, I think as a broadcaster, everything can't be big picture. And it's like, well, these, all these people are going to get fired in the summer. You know, have to say, hey, they won the game tonight. Let's give these guys credit that play in this game and actually went on it and won it? and and honestly rodby i think big picture probably dealing with a fan base that was generally so angry probably made me better because i I think it probably forced me to mature in my on-air approach and my presence and my ability to understand what i was just telling you about control where yes of course you're you're frustrated and you're upset but that doesn't mean you can call in and we're going to let you go on for seven minutes and insult everybody that plays for the Oilers and and call them names right so but but another thing to remember too is I have never judged my own performance by the quality of the team or teams I'm covering I I think that's a huge mistake if a broadcaster would ever do that now again maybe other people would tell you different but some of the one of the Best seasons Rob and I had was uh, was probably the, our fifth season together, and and they they missed the playoffs. They lost the, that was a year after they made the playoffs, and then they they missed. Right, um, they lost three games, five nothing, and you know people were mad. It was a step backwards. But I remember Rob and I after a lot of shows thinking like, well, like we like we had a good show, like our performance was good. We can't control what the team did we can't control how upset people are or, or what they're going to say but it's our job to be good hope for me to be a good host for rob to be a good uh analyst and for still to make people want to listen i mean that's ultimately what the the job is about you can't you can't scare people off and i think it's still appropriate to have fun and joke around even if if the team is bad so you know i i think that's I mean, hey, would I love to cover a Stanley Cup final and see them win the Stanley Cup? Of course, but that's, I have no control over whether that happens, right? I can control what I can do as a host. So even though like those were bad years and there were a lot of frustrated people who would call in and interact after games, I never let that determine how I felt about myself as a broadcaster or my performance. Like I was all about learning from that and and getting better.
0: But you didn't let that negative energy take a toll on you when people were trying to vent and probably mad that you are using that big picture and talking about the positives when they were usually not making the playoffs. Did that ever, that negative energy, that ever take a toll on you?
1: Well, not really. I mean, you got to brush it off. I mean, I think, yeah, sure. I guess put yourself in this situation for anybody. I mean, imagine doing something for one to two hours straight and you hear nothing good the entire time. Okay. Yes. That's, but, but again, that's the job. So if I, if you want to cover a team, then some years they might be bad and uh, you have to hear that. Right. So I, I mean, yeah, sure. Is it, uh, I, I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell you an example, like this, this guy called, th- th- these are the kind of things that would frustrate me though. I would usually, you got to brush it off, but I still remember this one guy, like people would be so mad. Sometimes they would twist what Rob or I were saying, right? So this guy called in. So Luch Luch was good for like a year and a half, right? And then he was really bad. So this guy calls in and says they should send Looch to the miners. And I said, well, I said that's not that's not going to happen. They they can't they can't send him to the miners. Well, he's having a bad year. They should. I said, well, I said that's fine, but like he has a no movement clause, which means they not only can't they trade him without his permission, they they can't even send him to the miners. So they're not going to send him to the minors. So then the guy says, "Well, so you think he's doing fine?" And I said, "No. I said he's he's obviously not doing as well as he was before. I'm just telling you that they they cannot and will not send Milan Lucic to the minors. Well, I can't believe you think he's having a good season. Like, okay, it's like so. What what am I supposed to say to the guy? You know. So you get like people are are so mad they they box you into disagreeing with them when you're. When you're actually not right, so sure there's there's frustrating moments like that where it's like God, like this guy's not even paying attention. Like he's just so mad he calls in and asks a question, but he doesn't want to even hear your answer. But again, that's that's part of the that's part of the fun of it, right? Is that that's what sports are all about. I mean, that person who calls probably the most rational, normal human being in every other side of his life, and he wanted to call in to read and rob to to vent a little bit. And the one thing I, I learned over the years too is. Look, if people actually trust Rob and I enough after a game to call us, that that's a privilege that they want to share their feelings or thoughts with us. That of all the people in the world they could talk to, they got to call us and put their voice out there on the radio so other people could hear what they could say. And and people tend to go to extremes. I mean, last season when the Oilers you know, had that 11-2 and two run after they didn't start very well, I mean, I remember a guy called in and he said, So who do you think the Oilers are going to play in the Stanley Cup Final, and how are they going to do? So like we're halfway through the fifty-six game season, and he's he's already decided. Okay, well obviously they're going to win the conference. So who's going to win the other conference, and how's the final? So you know people go to go to extremes, and they're you know they get too high and they get too too low. But that I mean again that's why we're there.
0: And you mentioned earlier, from the fan perspective, covering the team now. Does the feeling of being a fan get lost?
1: Like for me personally? Yeah. Well, I think it's been lost for a long time. And that's not uh I I don't say that like regretfully. To me, that's just the reality of the job. Uh, I mean, I I am not a fan uh, of the Edmonton Oilers in terms of let, let me let me explain that. I, I want them to do well. I I think it's great for the city. I think the fans deserve a team that does well. I mean, you don't, you're not friends with the players, but you do get to know some guys and you realize how hard they work. uh, You know, Nugent Hopkins has been here 10 years. I'd love to see him win the Stanley cup. So yeah, for the fans, for the city, for our station, it'd be great to have Stanley cup final games and for them to win but I don't experience the games like a fan would experience them. And I, and I think it would be unfair for me to call myself that because I, uh, because it's not the same uh, level or emotion as what the fans are going to. like. You, you have to understand, I, I really don't have an overly emotional reaction to how they're doing. It, it, in, especially in terms of the, the highs and the lows that I was talking about that people can experience. I, I mean, it, it is, it is my job to cover the games and, you know, then to, t- to talk about them and then specifically to, to do the show after and break down what happened. So when a game ends, I'm not thinking, well, I'm so mad at that guy who gave the puck away or, or I'm so thrilled. That's the greatest things I ever saw. I'm thinking about okay. We got to get to work. Like it's, you know. I also write the uh, the game recap for the 6:30 Ched website. So I'm usually finishing that. I'm in touch with the studio producer at Ched. Okay, is any post game audio available? Is Tippett going to speak? Is he at the podium yet? We try to get him live. Uh, has anybody called in yet? Uh, how many minutes of commercials do we have? When are we going to take the breaks? When's our next newscast? So those are the things that are going through my head between the end of the game and the start of overtime open line. And some of the things I have to do. So I'm not sitting there, you know, in the mindset of of, of let's go out for a beer and celebrate the game or let's go cry our beers about the team losing again. So, you know, again, yes, I, I want the team to do well and I'd be happy if they did well. I want the Elks to do well. I want all Edmonton teams to do well. It's, it's, just a better vibe, right. It's, it's uh you know, it's good. It's good for the city. It's interesting to talk to people who are, are winning and all that kind of stuff. But no, I, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not a, I'm not an Oilers fan. I think in the sense that, that you were asking to me, it would be really hard to be, you know, I, I just don't think that he can go, you could go on the radio with that amount of emotion. Like, I, I don't think, you know, if people just wanted that, that emotion, they would just go talk to their buddies. They wouldn't listen to us. You know, so sure, we're going to recognize when McDavid scores that goal against the Rangers. Well, of course, it's exciting, and we're going to be excited about it. You know, or if they blow the lead against the Jets, well, we're going to go on the air and say, well, they blew it. Like, that was, that was terrible. But, you know, I'm not de- dejected about it or celebrating it, I think, in the same way that a person who went to the game was or watched it on TV would be. And I, and I just think, for me, that's how how it has to be.
0: And you mentioned, like, relationships with the players. For example, Nuge. I don't know if you have any relationships, but have you ever had a player tell you they didn't like what you said on air?
1: No, I've had them tell me they didn't like questions. Or why did you say that? Or just shrug me off and walk away.
0: What type of questions like would you ask that they didn't like?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's happened so often it doesn't really phase me. And I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a daily thing. I mean, it might happen where you just get short answered, you know, or they just don't agree with your angle and they don't, they don't feel like giving you the clip. Yeah. And then sometimes it's just a misunderstanding, you know, like the, I mean, I remember once a player said to me after, he's like, well, why did you ask me that? And, and I said, well, because this, this, and this happened. He's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. So he went like, he wasn't thinking about that when I, the, the background, but I mean, really that type of stuff, I mean, I've never had like a conflict with a player to the extent where it was uncomfortable. I think you have to be professional and I, I think you have to approach them. I mean, you still you still want the clip, right? You want the interview. So if you are asking about something negative, there are still respectful ways to do it. You know, and I think you have to balance that where uh, if if you interview a guy when he's doing bad, then you have to be there when he's doing well too. And I think players notice that who's there every day and, and who's sort of fair and, and comes at it regardless of, uh, of how the team is doing. But I mean, you're dealing with a group of, you know, other people, you know, and some of them you don't talk to very much and you see, so you're never going to totally have a, a, a connection with everybody. I, I think the important thing and specifically for being on the Oilers beat, it's important just that they, they know you and they know that they can at least trust you where it's like, okay, if, if this guy's asking or wants to know something, I know that's how he's going to report it. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna blow it up. He's not gonna twist what I'm what I'm saying. He's not gonna just only go to the negative side of it.
0: And I remember for you personally, you did a talk at Nate, and you said you're not a very confident person. How do you get through that when it seems like you are a confident person on air? Is that just personality, or is that just fake it till you make it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, first of all, there's no choice. Uh, I mean, when the mic's on it's just me. So I better grab it. Right. You kind of got to go into superhero mode almost. And I think that's just experience too. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like just repetition and and doing something over and over. So yeah, I mean, I'm much more confident with the job than I was a few years ago. And I also, it's almost like a routine for a player, right? Like you can have you know, who knows what happens in a player's life during the day when the puck is dropped, he's got to perform. And I think just from doing it over and over again, you, you get yourself in that mindset. I mean, people shouldn't hear in my voice, whatever baggage is carrying me is, is with me that day, you know, like I've done, I I've done shows with deaths in the family, you know, I've, I've, I've done shows, uh, you know, with, with a dog at the vet, you know, like, or, or, or where you don't feel very well. Like it it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Like you have to perform because ultimately the listeners, the listeners want something from you. And I think if they tune into inside sports or, or the Oilers games, you know, hopefully they want to, they want to know what's going on with their favorite teams. Hopefully they want to have a few laughs, you know, and hopefully they want to hear some, some interesting guests. If, if I, if I'm not delivering that, I don't think they care why. It just better be there. You know, like if if you watch The Simpsons, you, you want Homer to say, Don't and you want them to do something clumsy and you want Mr. Burns to go, excellent. You know, if the writers start leaving that stuff out, maybe they do now. I haven't watched The Simpsons in years, but when I used to watch it, like if the show doesn't have that, it stops being that show and then the people stop watching it. So yeah, I, I I think that um, you know I, th- I think when I say that I don't consider myself a confident person is that I'm, I can be pretty self-critical, and sometimes I can uh, you know assume that I uh, that I'm never good enough. But but when you're when you're if you're gonna do the job, like you better figure out how to do it, and and putting yourself in that mental zone to do it every night, I think is a huge part of it, and and just uh, like I just told myself like okay, like, if people are listening. Like, they, they want something good. Like, you better grab it. You better have energy. You better pull them in. That's why they're here.
0: And we talk about, like, that first interview. Who was your favorite interview overall? Who comes up to the top of your head when you think about
1: well, it? You well, know, okay, like, I always mention Gene Simmons because it's so unusual, I think, for uh, uh, the guy from Kiss to be on a sports show. <laughs> so, I, 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 I always mention Gene Simmons, because he was uh, his band was coming to play in Edmonton, but not Kiss. He has the Gene Simmons band, so he was available to do interviews at a, at a certain time of day, and no other host could do it or they couldn't fit him into whatever show was on at the time. So I said, "Whatever, I'll come in and do it." <laughs> so I said I would. I, I said I would interview uh, Gene Simmons, and it was uh, it was it was unpredictable. I mean, we pre-taped it in the afternoon because I think he was just rattling off a whole bunch of interviews to who, whoever in Edmonton wanted to talk to him that day to promo the the tour. And he was he was very sort of almost monotone, but very funny. But he would say funny things and it would take me a sec because I never watched that Family Jewels show. And after the fact, people told me, "Oh yeah, like he's." actually pretty low key, but he's always like saying little sarcastic or funny things that you have to think about. So I was like, okay, so we're going along. And then it was a good interview. And then at one point, something came up about comic books or Spider-Man. And he says, so he goes, okay, I'm going to ask you some Spider-Man trivia questions. I'm like, okay. So Gene Simmons is going to ask me Spider-Man trivia questions, who, by the way, is my favorite fictional character of all time. So he says, uh, who created who he goes who are the two people and he like emphasized two, like who are the two people who created spider-man and i was like stanley and steve ditko like he didn't think i would know ditko right and so he was like oh okay yeah a lot of people only mentioned stanley i was like no i know and then he said in what uh he asked me something else and i knew it and he seemed a little bit surprised and then he said in what issue did spider-man first appear and of course it's amazing fantasy number 15. And then he was then the book became Amazing Spider-Man. And then he said, What was Amazing Fantasy called before that issue? And I vaguely remember that. Like for the first 14 issues, it was called something else. Then it was changed to Amazing Fantasy, and then it was canceled. And they gave Spider-Man his own book. And I I couldn't remember. And I said Amazing Stories. And it was actually Amazing Adult Fantasy. And then he asked me one more question that was like incredibly obscure that I didn't know. But I got like three right or three and a half right so that that's a memorable one just because i got to interview uh a guy from kiss on a sports show Uh, now an interview i wish i'd done that i didn't is also another musician i have talked to a lot of interesting sports people by the way but you asked you asked memorable so the guy from kiss is memorable so when i was in lloyd so brett michaels was touring and he was going to play some nightclub in in lloyd so me being a big 80s rock guy the The reporter going to do the interview, saying like you should come and ask Brett a couple questions. Like he's in his RV, and it was like at four 30 and I'm on air like just after six. And I was like, oh, I better not. Like I better be responsible. So I gave her my my CD, and he like signed my this Poison's Greatest Hits CD <laughs> and all this stuff. So, so in hindsight, I wish I would have gone. But a cool thing did happen as a result of me not going. I'm sitting at my desk at, in the sports department at Westminster, and the phone rings you know hey, hey sports read here hi Reed. yes hi Reed. it's brett oh hi brett how are you doing yeah doing good hey uh just in the rv here uh and our satellite tv is uh it's not coming through on the satellite what's the score in that uh playoff game right now the this baseball playoffs and i was like oh it's like braves and cardinals whoever there's a the score okay great yeah we can't get the game how are you doing like, yeah good brett uh you looking forward to the show yeah yeah doing well man so So I I didn't get the interview with Brett Michaels, but at least I have the story that Brett Michaels called me for sports, for for playoff baseball scores in the middle of the afternoon.
0: So with all the the celebrities and sports personalities you've interviewed, who are you most starstruck to interview?
1: That's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess certainly the first time I interviewed Gretzky in person, there was a little bit of like, okay, like that's actually Gretzky a lot of the stuff I do is over the phone. I think you kind of move past that fairly quickly. At least I did in my career because I mean, they're, they're people. I mean, they're famous people, but they're people. And when you go up to them, you know, when doing TV and Lloyd and you got your camera guy with you and sometimes it's been prearranged. So you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm Reed from the TV station. Like, I mean, I, you know, Brian Troche came through Doug Gilmore, um, but you get, you kind of get used to talking to people who are, who are known, you know, who might be considered celebrities, but I've, I've always said, like, I'm I'm talking to a human being, you know, like I am, I'm talking to a person and I want to, you know, ask them hopefully good questions and get honest answers. So yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I'm trying to remember if I've ever felt like really starstruck, like there's, there's been, t- I mean, maybe this is kind of what you were asking me earlier. Like, I still think it's cool when Warren Moon will come on the show, you know, like he's, he's a legend. Like it's nice when, uh, when he comes on. So that's, you know, kind of an example there, but I don't know if I've ever really felt uh, starstruck where I've been like speechless or uh, jittery or
0: like your voice quivers a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably happened, but I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's probably happened at, at, at some point, but I, I can't really think of one. I mean, I, I do wonder how I would react if I ever got to interview a member of Def Leppard. I'd probably be excited, nervous for that. I, I probably would feel starstruck because, you know, they are my favorite band. So that would probably be something where I felt a little star Trek, or where i felt like oh my god like i can't believe this is happening in terms of yeah anybody on the talk show i, I would say i mean certainly you know that some guests are going to have more draw more of a draw to the audience than other people or might or might be big names but i don't know if i've ever really felt uh at least not recently that i can, I can think of that i felt Star Trek. i mean i remember i was excited to interview walter gretzky i think that was my first summer in Lloydminster. minster I, I remember kind of wow. thinking like holy crap, I'm actually getting to interview Walter Gretzky. But again, once I went up to him and he was the warmest, most engaging, calming guy you could ever meet. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah, like I'm just talking to him. Like just, just, just talk to him. Once they start talking and telling stories, you realize, you know, they've had ups and downs in their lives and careers and had, you know, things on the journey that is cause them maybe to doubt themselves or feel upset. And they just happen to pick a profession that, that people will pay more attention to or pay money to go see them do.
0: And with those ups and downs was an example of a time you failed.
1: Well, today's show. uh... (laughs) That's that's a, that's a good question. I mean, it happens all the time, um, but it's, it's hard to think of a time that I failed that I still dwell on or was debilitating because I think you just kind of keep going. I mean, I can certainly early in my uh, TV career in Lloyd, I can remember, uh, you know, screwing up a lot or not being very smooth or uh i mean i remember one of my first shows like i accidentally talked or i didn't know my mic was on and i was talking to somebody i didn't say anything bad but i was like middle of the conversation with somebody and then the floor director's pointing at me you know and again i wasn't swearing or saying anything wrong but i was like oh man that's that's stupid so that was that was early on but i i think that um Yeah, that's that's a good question because I I think there are a lot of little moments where you feel like, okay, that that wasn't very good or you gotta do a little better. But I've never kind of felt like, okay, that is like such a big picture failure that I just can't possibly go on.
0: What's one quote that's really stuck with you in life?
1: What is one quote that's really stuck with me in life? I can't remember who said this, uh, opportunity plus preparation equals success is a good one. Uh, There was one I saw the other night while I was watching Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. A good quote from that movie was, uh, if you aim for nothing, you hit nothing. I thought that was pretty good. I I think opportunity plus preparation equals success is a really good quote. And then certainly, you know, these go to 11 from Spinal Tap would be one of my all-time favorites. That's not really a deep one though. It's just funny if
0: you've ever seen that movie. Do you think you've reached success, Reed?
1: No, I don't. Absolutely not. No, that's, uh, to me, that's like a, an absurd categorization. And I, I do have a story about that because, so some of the stuff I told you about my my career frustrations, my buddy Jay Onright put in his book, because uh, we were actually, he, he was the person I was on the trip with. And I had a lot of deep conversations with about my career and life. And he he, he was somebody that had said, just like, just move to Edmonton. Like, he's like, you'll figure it out. He's like, you're, you're putting too much, uh, like stress on yourself that you have to do something a certain way. Like just, just move to where you want to live, you know, suck it up. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you have a job you don't like for a while, but you're, you'll figure it out. Right. So, so anyway, so he, he wrote about, there was a chapter in the book and then I got a, a Twitter message or an email from a, from a young lady, a young broadcaster who is now doing very well. I still will still touch base, you know, every few months just say, Hey, how are you doing? I've never met her in person. And she wrote me this email and she said, Hey, like, uh, I'm such and such. I I've been doing this. I've been working here. I, I can't get a job and I've been really frustrated. And my boyfriend said that he read about you and Jay Wright's book and that you had all these career frustrations and now you're have your own show and you're doing Oilers games. And she wrote, and she wrote now that you're a success, I'm hoping I could talk to you. And I read that and I thought to myself, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a success. Like I'm just a guy drew doing a job, you know? And so I, I wrote her back and, and, and we talked and, uh, you know, it was good, but I would never, I I would never think of myself as a success. Like it's again, it's, it's, it's too much of a day-to-day process, right. And it's too much of an ongoing, I guess, journey for lack of a better word to, to, do something good every day and to keep incrementally improving and expanding. So I I think like to me, success is a, uh, is like a, a term of finality and I'm nowhere near feeling any finality with what I'm doing.
0: And with that journey out of all the days, what was the happiest day of your life?
1: The happiest day of my life that is a great question. I'm pretty lucky. I think I've had a lot of happy days. Uh, I remember the uh, day of my convocation from university was a very happy day because all my friends from school were in from my program. We were all in one place. I got to hang out with my parents after, and we went to a to a pub, and there was an NHL game. Like this is this is really silly. like I'm not married or don't have kids or anything. I just remember that was like just such a day of uh, of sort of accomplishment and then just seeing the people that you you'd worked with you'd gone through it with and then just spending time with my mom and dad and watching a hockey game and like having chicken wings you know like it, it sounds pretty simple but uh, but that was a very that was a very happy day sort of uh, in my early adulthood in my early 20s I, I feel like I'm pretty lucky because I, I I sort of feel like I have a lot of days where I feel uh, pretty happy. Generally, you know, I'm healthy. My parents are healthy for the most part. And uh, I get, the day I shot 81, if you want to go back there, the day I shot 81 at Riverside was a freaking joy. Like that was one of the greatest days of my life. If you want to take it back to golf, I was four over after 14 holes. And I finished 10 over. That was amazing.
0: Last question. What's one piece of advice you would give people?
1: Uh, don't go into broadcasting. No, I'm joking. I'm just making this the uh, the standard joke. You know, I would say, I know it sounds somewhat cheesy, but it sort of does boil down to don't give up. I mean, it, it's really hard to comprehend. I don't know how, how old you are, but I assume you're younger than me. You know, it's hard to comprehend in your late teens and early 20s. And to go back to the swearing thing here, I am, I am going to take the liberty and swear once during this interview. It's it's When you're that age, it's hard to realize how much shit you're going to go through in your career and your life. And you can't let just a couple bad things or a couple bad days derail you if, if you really want to do something or you really want to commit to something, whether it's a job or a relationship or your golf game or, 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 or whatever, you know, you, you go through, a lot of stuff. And it's, if you really want to do it, it's not worth throwing it away or overreacting because you've had a few bad days or you're facing a challenge. If you're really passionate about it, then, then just keep that in mind that that's, that's part of the journey is sometimes things don't go well and you have good times. But if, if you want to do, if, if you want to do, whether it's broadcasting or whatever, if you, if you want to do it, I mean, you're not going to start, on top, you know, if you want to use the word success, you're not going to feel like a success when you start, right? So you know, em, em, embrace that journey and stick with it.
0: Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much to Reed Wilkins for coming on to the podcast today. Reed, please sign us off.
1: Well, v, thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be on the People of Sports. My name's Reed. Have a great night.
0: Episode 4 coming up soon. Peace.